know, when we're introducing speakers, we often say, Brother Chris, would you speak for us? I wonder if anybody's ever said no. <laughs> just walked out. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be here tonight. Uh, always a pleasure to get to speak around the county and get to see people that, you know, I know and am familiar with and get to see them again and worship with them. I appreciate the opportunity. So we're talking this evening about inspiring the young. Um, I noticed that the young men are, are helping lead in services. Uh, I take that as a, as a compliment. I guess you assume that I am young as well. And so you just put me right in with the rest of you. Um, you know, Danielle and I used to get lots and lots of, you look too young to be a preacher. And, and we don't get as much of that as we used to. I don't know if it's, I have less hair. Um, although I tell people I have the same amount of hair, it's just shorter. It's there, I promise you. It's just much shorter. Most of it, anyway, is there. So we're going to talk this evening about inspiring the young. And I was Facebook messaging Tony back and forth, and my question essentially was, am I talking to the young and inspiring them, or am I talking to the adults about how to inspire the young? Am I talking to the old fogies, or am I talking to the youngsters? And the conclusion that he and I reached together was, I suppose, we're talking to both of you. And so that's what we're going to do this evening. We're going to try to hit those of us who are older who have an opportunity to inspire the young, and we're going to talk to the young and maybe see if we can inspire you. And really, we need to just tell the truth, right? And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to tell the truth about three things this evening. Number one, we're going to tell the truth about youth. Youth in general, as a time period. We're going to talk about youth. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about the truth about your world. That is, young people, your world. The truth about it. And then we're going to talk about the truth about you, the young. So the truth about youth, the truth about your world, and the truth about the young, or about uh, you in specifically. So now then, truth about youth. Now there are two polar opposite views of youth. The first I call the get-off-my-lawn view, right? Young people are just to be rarely seen and never heard. Youth are annoying, and our job is to grow them up as soon as we possibly can. Their music is annoying, their clothing is annoying, their, everything about them is annoying. And, and while most of us don't go that far in that extreme, there is maybe a large portion of us as we get older who forget what it was like to be young, and so we see the young as an annoyance. Proverbs 22 and verse 15 says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child. And, and while that's a statement upon youth in general, there are a lot of us who say, yeah, that's the main characteristic of youth. Foolishness. You know, and, and maybe as we get older, we become more and more about that sort of attitude as it relates to the young. Proverbs 29 and verse 15 uh, says that a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. And I'll be honest, I've been the one who, who sat in, a, in a, a restaurant and I looked over, look at those parents that child. I, what, what are children doing here? You know, it's messing up my movie or messing up this or that, you know. And, and so often all of us, maybe at some point, we characterize the young people as, as sort of something to be tolerated. So that's one aspect of youth. It's interesting uh, in the 1700s and on into the 1800s, when people were asked to paint portraits of families, here is often what they got. 
Now, to me, that, looks, that young lady looks a lot like George Washington. I just saw that as I, as I looked at this. This is a, a sort of a representative sample of what you would have gotten if you asked for a portrait in certain time periods. Now, why? Well, some scholars believe that the issue was they wanted their young people to grow up as soon as possible. They essentially saw their young people as little adults. And you know, the wealthy, who are the ones who could afford portraits, what did they do when their children were born? They, they shipped them off to a, a nurse, and that nurse raised them, and then they shipped them off to, to some boarding school, and they were trained there. And so the, the children were sort of a bother that had to be tolerated, and, and you kind of see that. Let's put the head of an adult, an, uh, not, a, not an attractive adult either, on the body of a child. And so that's kind of the way that it was viewed for many, many years, and and so maybe you and I sometimes catch ourselves falling into that category. But then there's what I call the Bob Seeger view of youth. It was the greatest time ever. And we'll never have it as good as we had it when we were young. Every Bob Seeger song, Night Moves and Like a Rock and, you know, uh, Running Against the Wind and all those songs, what do they do? Oh, remember what it was like back when we were young? Even old-time rock and roll. News music is no good. It's all about the old stuff. Um, when I was young, it was better. And so we focus on youth and, and how youth is this carefree and, and, and wonderful time. And I think we sell our kids short in what they might be dealing with and what they might be going through and what they might be carrying around with them. And so you've got these two polar opposite views of life. Uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes 12 said, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. And then he goes on to say, While the evil days come not. And verses 1 through 7 describe what it's like to be really old. And to the point of death and all the aches and the pains and all of the eyesight and the, the hearing problems that go with being old. And so essentially what Solomon is saying is, man, there's no better time to do right than when you're young. And certainly he's right about that. But so many people take it to the extreme and, and country music today, if you listen to very much of it, it's the same thing. Oh, when you're young and you're carefree and it's summertime, that's the greatest time ever. And I think they sell other times in our lives short and I think they overlook a great deal of burdens that our young people have to carry with them. So as is often the case with two polar extremes, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So here are some truths about youth. Number one, youth are capable. I think so often we sell our young people short and, and everywhere I go when I talk about youth, and for some reason I'm asked to do it a lot, I guess because I look so young. But when I'm asked to talk about youth, one of the things I want to point out is youth are not the future. Youth are the present. Now they will hopefully be the future as well and they will carry the present to, with them, but they are the present. Uh, there's nothing that points that out any more than having young people lead in worship service. Young Christian men who can already lead singing did a great job who can already lead prayer, who can already read Scripture, and do so many of the other things that we will call upon them to do later in their lives. Young people are the present. It's interesting, Paul, in a passage that we always use when talking about youth, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. I had not read that. Let no man despise thy youth. You see, and that's that polar opposite extreme, number one, right? Where, oh, young people, they, they, they can't do anything right and they're irresponsible, aren't they? And they're immature and you can't depend on them. No, let's not sell our, young, our youth short. Uh, let's not give them that free pass to be irresponsible. You know, what you find as a teacher is that 
young people by and large live up to whatever standards you place before them. So if we look around and say, let's not expect too much out of these young people, they're not worth that much anyway until they get older. Then what standard do they have to live up to? But Paul said, Timothy, set the standard high. Let no man despise thy youth, but you be an example. There are things about young Christian men and women that I wish more of us adults would emulate in our lives. You know, young people tend to see things in black and white and we adults get enamored in the gray areas. Wouldn't it be nice if we approach life with the fervor and the zeal and the desire to do right that we see good Christian young people approach life with? So young people are capable. But number two, let's not forget that young people are, in fact, vulnerable. You know, that that polar opposite that says youth is the greatest time in your lives... I think we forget about puberty, don't we? There, there, were, there were times in my teenage years I don't want to go back to. You know, they say there's a chemical in mothers that helps them forget about the pain of childbirth so that they'll actually do it again. You know, if, if, too, many young, if too many mothers remember what, how much pain was involved in childbirth, maybe they wouldn't want to do it as often in the future. They say there's a chemical that actually helps them forget. I wonder if there's not some chemical in us as adults that that causes us to forget the challenges we faced as young people. The burdens that we bore with us. And you know, we're in... There's been no time in our history where young people carry around as much of a burden as they do now. The divorce rates are through the roof. Everywhere you go, you see families that are divided. And if you don't think teenagers carry that around with you, you've not been around young people very often. They carry it around with them. And for so many of our young people, the scars that they carry around and the burdens that they bear are more than any adult should have to deal with. And yet we look at them and say, hey, smile, it's the best time of your life. We need to understand that young people are vulnerable to so many problems in life. And of course, there is the added vulnerability because they are young and they are inexperienced. And as Paul also told Timothy, they are prone to youthful lusts. Now, every young Christian has heard countless sermons on lust and the dangers of it. But it's not just lust in some fleshly sense. He said youthful lusts. There's so many things that come along with being young. And so many of them are positive and so many of them are amazing, but some of them are struggles. He again would... Focus on the positive aspects of being young. Follow after righteousness, faith, charity, peace within the call on the Lord out of the pure heart. So we need to understand, number one, that youth, man, they're so capable. They can do so much and they can do as much as we expect them to do. But number two, youth have their vulnerabilities. But number three, youth are individual. I didn't know a way to say this where it kind of was parallel and as an English teacher, my points have to be at least parallel. They don't have to start with the same letter. They at least have to be parallel. So the, don't laugh. Man, we preachers love to have... And it's not so that we can remember them any better. I'll be honest. I probably can't remember my points two days after I preach them sometimes. I don't know why we have to have the first letters the same, but we do. And deal with us and bear with us. But youth are individual. What I mean by that is youth are youth. We 
need to treat them as such. We don't need to forget that, that there is a way to deal with our young people. There is a way to approach our young people. There, there is a way to view our young people. And they're not adults. Proverbs 22.6 is such an amazing verse. And I remember being asked to speak on youth, and I can't even remember the specific topic, but I mentioned Proverbs 22.6, and I mentioned this very thing. There are three general interpretations of how we're supposed to understand Proverbs 22.6. I made that statement, and I explained what I'm about to explain. And some wonderful Christian lady caught me after services and says, the Bible only has one interpretation. Well, that's true. God, uh, Scripture is of no private interpretation. I understand that. There are some things that we just can't completely get a beat on, and we have different opinions as to what specifically they're relating to. Not matters of salvation, mind you, but I think this is one of them. Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So that means, most simplistically, you see, you raise a child in the church and they won't leave. Well, you and I know different. Now we say, well, that's a proverb, and so it's a general rule, and maybe that's the case. Generally speaking, if you rear a child... Uh, based on godly principles, and you show them the right path, and you teach them properly, you are certainly giving them a better than average chance to be godly themselves. And I understand that. And maybe that's one of the things here. But if you look at some of the other ideas in Proverbs 22.6, they're quite interesting. Number two, uh, it might be said, train up a child in the way that suits him, in the way that he individually should go. You know, there are so many times as parents that we want to put on our children what we want them to be. Or what we wished we could have been when we were young. You know, I, I got cut from the high school basketball team, so little Johnny, you're going to be the next coming of Michael Jordan. You read about Pistol Pete Maravich and his father's relationship with him was so stormy. Why? Because he wanted his son to be the greatest basketball player ever. He didn't want his son to be Pete Maravich. He wanted him to be Pistol Pete. And so he would do things to him all the time, and he would. it was always coach-player. It was never father-son. And if you've ever tried to coach your child in athletics, you understand that line is very thin, razor thin. And as fathers, we want our children to be what we want them to be. They, we either want them to be miniature versions of us or everything we could not be. Instead of what gets lost in the shuffle is letting our child be who our child is most designed to be. In the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, you remember that the Lord gave to each according to what? His several ability. He didn't go to that one talent man and say, here's five talents, you better make use of it. Because he knew that one talent man didn't know how to make best use of five talents. Train up a child in the way that suits him. Maybe that's the way to, to understand that verse. But there's another. Train up a child as a child. Treat a child the way a child should be treated. Don't do like that painting suggested and treat a child like a little adult. Because they're not adults. They're children. Teenagers are wired in a certain way. Kids are wired in a certain way. I picked on my children this morning about this very thing and, and, and worship at, at Hebron, and I hate to do it again, but I'm going to anyway. Preachers' children are cursed to be the butt of so many illustrations from the pulpit. And, and that's just the way it is. Find other parents if you don't like it. Um, good luck. Um, but it's interesting. 
a, a young child, and I, I don't know where this age stops, maybe it never stops. A young child can only handle so many instructions together, right? I want you to go out, little Johnny, I want you to do this, 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 and this. How many of those will they get done? One, maybe two, if you're lucky, right? And, and far be it for you to have one instruction that has several components. And the, the instruction is only done successfully if they follow all the components. Here's the example I gave this morning. The iPad was dead, and I use it for Bible class, and so we were plugging it up on the way to services. If you have an iPad, you know it doesn't charge well from the cigarette lighter adapter in a car. So I have one of those ACDC converters in my bag. I said, Sidney Jane, reach in my bag, the front small compartment of my bag. There's instruction number one. Get out the black adapter and hand it to me. Sidney Jane fumbled around. I would imagine I couldn't see her that she went through those big compartments first, even though they said the smaller compartment. She didn't. She says she didn't. I'll take her word for it. Then what does she do? This white cord. Is that it, Daddy? No, 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 no. The black cord. Oh. See, after one or two, she just couldn't get it. Why? Because she's eight. Because she's eight. And I think as parents, we lose sight of that, don't we? This is a child. I can't depend on my child to do everything that I want them to do all the time because they're eight. They're ten. They're four. And I need to understand that the way I deal with my child when they're four and eight and ten can go a long way into what kind of relationship we have when they're older and what kind of person they are when we're older. It's my obligation to do my due diligence to reach them in the way that they can best be reached. That's my job as a parent. Not all children are the same. Not all parents are the same. And I think Proverbs 22.6, as much as anything, gets to the heart of that. If we want to really inspire our young people, we need to look at them and say, little Johnny, I love you for who you are, and it's my job to make you the best little Johnny you can be that can be pleasing to God. See, that's so much different than the way we often approach it. And I understand that as a father as much as any of you do. So, they are individuals. They are capable. And yes, they are vulnerable. Now, the truth about your world. Number two, you, you turn on CNN or Fox News, your favorite news outlet, and what do you see? There's terrorism. There, there's, there's some sort of shooting that's gone on, or there's some sort of bombing that's taken place, or there's a war here, or there's economic trouble here, or there are these politicians misbehaving there, and all you get is bad, 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 bad. And then our kids are in the back seat while mom and daddy are on the way to church Sunday morning talking about how bad their world is. And so I wonder sometimes, what do our kids think about the world they're growing up in? Do they think, as we try to portray it sometimes, that it is the worst world that has ever existed? Back when I was a kid, it just wasn't this way. Get off my lawn. You know, we have that attitude sometimes that you better get ready, kids, because your world is horrible. If, if we were to ask young people, and if they were honest, they probably think that's what adults think about the world they're growing up in. Because that's what they hear so often. But then there's this other side of the spectrum which says, and I've heard Christians behave this way and treat their children this way. Oh, your world is fine. Go explore it at your own leisure. I've talked to Christian parents who said, well, I want my son or daughter to experience it for themselves so that they'll know what not to do. Dear friends, I think that's the worst possible 
philosophy that I could have as a parent. Now, sure, my child needs to be given more and more responsibility as they get older. I understand that. And I can't lock my children in the basement and say, come out when you're 21. I can't do that. 18 maybe, not 21. But our children aren't developed to the extent that we can just say, here, go, experience the world, sink or swim. It doesn't work that way. Because whether or not the world is the worst that it's ever been, it's still the world. I'll never forget talking with a preacher's wife. And you don't know them and it doesn't matter who they are. And she was talking and bragging about how she had had a conversation with her daughter about contraceptives and the proper use of them. Because after all, and you can finish that out, can't you? Come on. Just letting our kids wander into the world because they're going to do it anyway? What kind of sense does that make? See, but that's the other end of the spectrum, right? Let's let them sink or swim on their own. No, 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 no. But neither is this the world, the worst the world has ever been. Again, the truth is in the middle. Our world, if truth be told, and I firmly believe this, it's no better or worse than it's ever been. The world has always been, in some form, to some degree, the world it is now. Why? Because people just like us were in it. I mean, you go through the pages of the Old Testament and you find situations where the world was in really bad shape. So bad, remember, that God destroyed it with a flood. So bad, remember, that, that God said, Moses, I'll just kill them all and start fresh with you. The world has been bad and good and everywhere in between throughout the history of the time that it stood in existence. And we need to be very careful how we characterize the world for our youth. You want to discourage a child? Convince them that the world is hopeless and useless. Because I guarantee you that child has a different view of the world. And when the two clash, which is going to stand? The, the, the one thing I wish I could harness from these young men, from these young ladies, is their hope. we kill that in our youth, what do they have left? Hope. Is after all the anchor of the soul. Solomon said wisely, there is no new thing under the sun. And he knew just how right he was. By and large, what makes the world the world has always been and will always be. But we need to teach our young people, and young people, you need to know that the world can be whatever you want to make it. It really can be. If you ever doubt the power of people to change the world, consider that one man and twelve of his friends changed the world. And they didn't get an army and storm the castle. They preached the gospel. And I wonder if we still believe that the gospel can change the world. It can. It's done it before. And it can do it again. In Ephesians chapter 6, there's, there's a, a passage, another famous passage as it relates to young people. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Remember that, kids. I told you to. Number two, 
Verse 2, honor thy father and mother. And then notice what he says, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee and thou mayest live long on the earth. Doing it God's way makes your life better. That's what Ephesians 6, 1-3 says. Now specifically as it relates to obeying your parents, but generally speaking, doing it God's way will make your life better than if you don't do it God's way. Well, it stands to reason then, if it makes my life better, doing it God's way can make other people's lives better. And I guarantee you, our young people, when they come out of the watery grave of baptism, they believe that. And it's our job to foster that, harness it, and use it. Hope. The world can be whatever we make of it. Hmm. Young people, the next time your parents are complaining about the world that you live in, you know what you need to tell them? You're the ones who made it. I've only been here ten years. I didn't make this world. You did it. You know, but then we have to step back and we have to ask an even tougher question. You know, people complain about the world of the 60s, right? Those flower children. Guess who created that world for those flower children? Guess who programmed those flower children and sent them out into the world? It was their parents. Their parents did that. So while we're here complaining about the young and complaining about the world we live in, like like your mama said, every time you point a finger, there are three or four that are pointing right back at you. Depends on whether you have a hitchhiker's thumb or not. Right back at us. So we created this world that our young people are growing up in. And it's real easy for us to do what Thomas Paine condemned, right? Let me have peace in my day. I'm just worried about my life. You know, these kids, oh, they're, they're world. But at least my credit card's paid off. You know, And we're only worried about what's here and now. Nothing set Thomas Paine off any more than hearing somebody say that. Hey, we need to worry about the, the world we're leaving for our kids. Because we're in charge of the world we're leaving for our kids. We need to consider that as well. The truth about youth in general. The truth about your world. And finally, young people, let me ask you some questions about you. You. Young lady, what do you think of yourself? I have a daughter. And I've told this story before, but I remember when Real little. I can't remember. Two or three years old. She was young. And she was upset. And we said, why are you upset? And she said, because my hair is not long like hers. Oh, man. All the things my little girl should be worried about, that shouldn't be one of them. Young lady, what do you think of yourself? What do you think of your appearance? What do you think of your intelligence? It's real easy for a pretty girl to play the dumb blonde card, right? Because it gets her attention or this or that. I've known some intelligent girls who played that card. Why? Because it seemed to be the niche that they were pressed into and they just did it. And if you try to hem them down, you're an intelligent girl, aren't you? Oh, no, 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 no. So sad. What do you think of your worth? You know, we've not done our jobs if our young ladies go off to college and they don't think a lot of themselves. I've seen lots of young ladies give themselves up in situations they had no business in because their self-worth wasn't anywhere where it needed to be. 
There's a book, I can't remember who it's by, but I remember the church, it's a lady's book, I Love Me, I Love Me Not, all about the self-worth of our young ladies. Young men, we thank yourself. Be honest. How, how do you view yourself? How do you view your strength? I've been a scrawny kid as long as I can remember. My dad talked about those strings hanging out of your shorts. You know, when I was a kid. I was the scrawniest, you know, I was so scrawny. I'm still scrawny. You know, if, if we're overweight, we take fat. Somebody calls us fat, we take offense to that. Well, we skinny people take scrawny the same way. I'm not scrawny. You don't have the right to call me scrawny just because I'm skinny. Anyway, that's just a whole other sermon for a whole other day. Young men, what do you view of your strength? Because you don't look like Chris Hemsworth, how do you feel about yourself? See all these kids strutting around with their shirts off and Flexing for all the ladies. How do you feel when you're a Christian man and you don't do that? How do you feel? How do you feel about your strength? How do you feel about your leadership? You feel like, man, I, just, I don't know if I can take on all that responsibility. I've felt that way before. I sometimes still feel that way. How do you feel about your worth? We're doing our young men a disservice if we send them out in the world and they're not confident enough in themselves to be Christian men despite the consequences. You know, we're training our young men to be husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. We need to train young men who are that confident in themselves to stand up and die for what they believe in. tell you a few things, young people, and then the sermon will be yours. Number one, you are a unique creation of God. God knew exactly what He was doing. Exactly. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Now I know God was talking to Jeremiah about His prophetic office, specifically. But the principle is still there. I knew what I had in you when I created you. And not when I created you at birth, by the way, when I formed thee. That conception. You are a unique creation of God. You go back to the parable of the talents. God knows what you can do. You know, but that's a good thing. That's a two-way street, isn't it? God knows what you can do. I am Jordan's basketball coach. And you see, I've seen him play in the basketball court out at home. And I've seen him do things when nobody else is around. I know what he can do. So when he says, I can't, I know different. Our Heavenly Father knows that when we say, I can't, and we can he knows the difference. God knows what you're capable of and what you can handle. But I want to leave you with this tonight. Trust me. Young people, you're not half of what you will be. I don't know how many, young, how many of us adults are willing to admit it. I wasn't half of what I am now when I was your age. Jordan is already farther along in his spiritual development than I was at 20 years old. I can only imagine what he'll be 20 years from now. So many of you young people, you're so wrapped up in what you are and what you aren't right now. Man, 10 years from now, it'll be completely different. You'd be amazed if you go back to your 10-year reunion and, and you look at all these people who you thought were the pinnacle of what you could be, and they've not improved one whit since they graduated. And you've improved 20-fold. As a child of God, as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father. You see, and that's what Christ can do for you. 
Young people, don't get discouraged because you're not everything you think you ought to be right now. Hopefully, Lord willing, you've got your whole lives to work it out. And I want to be there to watch you and to help you and to encourage you. It's on that point that we will end this evening. You see, because that's not just true about young people. If you're not a Christian here tonight, you're not even a fraction of a percent of what you could be. I don't care how good I think I am. I don't care how morally upright I am. I don't care how many good deeds I do. If I am not washed in the blood of the Lamb, it does me no good. This evening, if you and I are not faithful to God, it is our obligation to get that way for ourselves. But then if we're adults, it's our obligation to get that way for these young people who surround us. We've been talking about inspiring the youth, but you know how you can really discourage a young person? Adult, be a hypocrite. You see, young people's world, as I said, it's black and white. And these people they look up to, when they see them not living as they ought to, it can destroy their whole worldview. It can. Adult, we better keep that in mind before we go out and conduct ourselves in a way God wouldn't have us to. If you're not a Christian this evening, you need to become one. And you need to do it now. Believe in Jesus Christ, repent of your sin, confess your faith, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. In Acts chapter 8, we've got a perfect picture of a eunuch studying Isaiah 53, meeting up with Philip, burying the old man of sin in a watery grave, raised to walk in newness of life, and going on his way rejoicing. You can do that tonight. But dear Christian, are you what you ought to be? Are you an example of the believers? If not, make it right. Obey the gospel and be restored as together we stand and sing.